This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. You're a guest with us. We want to welcome you. Thank you so much for being here at Church of the Harvest this morning. We are a family of Christ followers. And God has brought us together, and we have recognized that we are stronger together than we are individually, right? And so we've linked arms, determined to come together and accomplish God's purposes in the earth, right? And so, uh, so we welcome you. We, we gather in small groups throughout the week. And um, guys, we, we have more people involved in community groups throughout the week than we have that attend service on an average Sunday morning. And I love that. I think that's awesome. We need community. We need each other. But I'm still thankful that we're able to come together on Sunday mornings. All of our groups are able to come together on Sunday mornings, and we're able to worship together corporately. Are you all thankful? At Harvest, as I always say, we're just a small expression of the body of Christ. We love God, and because of that, we love people. And we love the world. It's impossible to love God and not love people. You hear people say, well, I I love God. I just don't love the church. You you love him, but you dislike his bride. Yikes. That's scary. (laughs) And even more so, the lost. God's heart, our our Father's heart is for the lost. Amen? And so we we love God. Because of that, we love people. And and we we serve the world as the hands and feet of Jesus. If you're part of the Hardest Family, say it with us. Our vision is to what? Make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. And we do that three ways, by doing what? Community, discipleship, and outreach. So we foster community, discipleship, and outreach to fulfill that God-given purpose, to make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus. And, and I, I love that people are coming to the Lord because one of our primary metrics in knowing whether or not we're, we are fulfilling that mission is whether or not people are coming to Jesus, whether or not people are being equipped and trained and growing. And, and disciples reproduce disciples, right? So... That's, that's our mission. That's what we are to be doing. So we've been discussing this year um, our responsibility, the part that we play in the body of Christ, in the family of God. And, you know, uh, we, we are Christ followers. What is a Christ follower? Somebody who's repented, right? Not just said sorry, but, but turned from their sin, their old life, their old ways, and chosen to follow Jesus, making him Lord of their life, right? Surrendered to him. And so... We live as Christ followers. We live in this world today, and the world seems to be rapidly changing, right? Things are shifting and moving, but we are not of this world. So when the world is shaken, when the ground quakes, we don't have to be moved, right? Because we are not of this world, and God's Word never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so he has all the answers. He's given them all to us in God's word. The, the answers to all of our questions and even our doubts, they're found in God's word, right? So we don't have to be shaken and moved. So we started uh, a few months ago, actually, with the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthews 5, 6, and 7, right? And in that, we started, obviously, with chapter 5. And it, it talked about a lot of different things, but we came to this idea that, that Jesus is communicating that it's not only our actions, but it's also our thoughts that declare our devotion to God, right? Or, or our lack of devotion to God. It's obvious. It's what Jesus called fruit, right, that comes forth. And so in this, Jesus, you know, Jesus communicated. One of the things I get, we talked about was he said, you think you've kept the law because you haven't violated the, the sixth commandment that says not to murder. But I tell you, if you've got hatred, if you've got, if you've got bitterness and anger in your heart toward your brother, then you're already guilty, he took it to a whole nother level. And we, we talked about how Jesus has the, had this way and has this way of getting to the heart of the matter real quickly, right? Just when we think all is good, Jesus says, oh, really? Let's take a look at this little spot in your heart. And he puts a finger on it, right? And we're like, oh, wow. Sorry, Lord. Change me. And so with that in mind, I gave you the, these, a couple of points. I told you the root of outward sin is always found inward, Right? And so we've got to deal with inward sin before it becomes outward sin. Both are sin. The problem is outward sin becomes much more destructive. It's progressed. It's grown. And now it begins to affect others. So Jesus continues the Sermon on the Mount with this foundation. And, um, and as you have seen in the last couple of weeks, he begins to shift a little bit in, in his teaching. Uh, and so three weeks ago, um, talked about being a carnal Christian, right? Remember wood, hay, and straw, gold, silver, and precious stones? We don't want to be carnal Christians, 
And we want lots of reward, right? It's not wrong to want reward because if we get reward from our Father, that means we did things that pleased Him in this life. So we want to be Christians. We want to be Christ followers that are sold out all in and building, storing up reward in heaven. And so then last week, our elder Robert Montgomery, he taught last week. First thing I listened to on Monday, I thought he did pretty awesome. How about you guys? It's always good, but I, I love the, the real-life examples and the practicality that, that he brought into, into uh, the, the, the teaching that the Holy Spirit gave him there in, in, in chapter 6. And, and as he started that, he emphasized the importance of a lifestyle for, for the Christ follower, the importance of building a lifestyle of, of, of giving and of prayer and of fasting and of forgiveness. And, and these are great things, right? These are things that we need. These need to be disciplines in our lives. But also, it goes a step further there in chapter 6 because it, it's talking about the motivation of your heart when doing these things, right? Jesus, again, cutting to the heart of the matter. What is your motivation? And making sure that everything that we do, that we do as unto the Lord, not to be seen by man, not for the applause of man, but for the, for the, for the applause of God. And so this theme also adds to it and continues to carry out throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I plan to finish chapter 7 here over the next uh, little while. But um, so you guys, if you, I'm, I'm sorry, chapter six. So if you do have your Bible with, with you, you can turn to chapter six. Uh, the notes are online. Hopefully the, the YouVersion Bible app, we had a little issue this morning. If, if you're having struggling with it, you can scan that QR code on the back of the chair and it will take you straight to it if you're struggling to, uh, to access it. But the notes are all on there and you can follow along with us. But as we start, I'm sorry, as we continue, um, Mr. Robert last week went to um, verse 18 in chapter 6. So we're starting in verse 19. Now, now in verse 19, Jesus starts, he, he continues talking about treasures. Now, when we think of treasures, we think of riches. We, we, we generally think of money, right? When we talk about treasure in church, we, we're generally talking about money. And let me ask you guys, is there anything wrong with money? Nope. I like money. Pretty necessary. I like having more of it than less of it. It's a good thing, you know. Have more to bless and share. Nothing wrong with money. Just like we talked about prayer and fasting and giving. It's the motivation of our heart. Money is not a bad thing. Having money is not a bad thing. Saving money is not a bad thing. It's not wrong. Any more wrong than, you know, praying, fasting, and giving. But it goes back to what is the motivation of your heart and how you Use that. And so, as we read last week, if, you are, if you're praying to be seen, you want, you're, you're looking, you're praying, you know, whatever it is. You're, you're, like, we know back in the day, the, the Pharisees, they would stand on the street corners, right? And, and you know, they, before they would give, they, their trumpets would be blown, and then they would give into the offering bucket. They were doing it to be seen, right? If you're waiting for the applause of man, you go, ooh, Wow, they love the Lord. How? Wrong, right? Wrong motivation. You're wrong. If you want money to, to try to measure up to others and try to keep up with the Joneses, wrong. Wrong motivation, wrong heart. And so if we go, we can just go on to, to verse 19 there, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, hang on a second right there, because this is the verse that many preachers use to say that Jesus is speaking against prosperity. It's not, that's not true, guys. That's, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not speaking against prosperity by saying not to treasure up for yourself, not to store up for yourself treasures on earth. He, he is saying not to store up. I, I would tell you in more simple terms, he, he's saying not to hoard stuff. Don't make it your life mission to try to store up a bunch of stuff, whether it's to impress others or whether it is based on, uh, on, on your own fears and your own need for control in life. Don't hoard up stuff. It's never supposed to be part of our mission. We weren't supposed to stockpile. Now, you can turn on the TV today. You can even see it on Christian TV today. People who are saying you need to stockpile food. You need to have lots of it because there's hard times coming. Of course, they're usually the ones that are selling that food and they want you to buy it, right? But, but guys, even so, it's, it's not really scriptural. Now, 
There's nothing wrong with having some food and water set aside, right? It could be argued that it's even wisdom. How many of you remember a number of years back, gosh, we were living in our old house on Blocker, when that tornado hit and, and went right through by the middle school, the middle school and right by our neighborhood, and it, it did a lot of damage. And, and then just a couple of years ago, just down 305, just down from where we live, man, I mean, it, it did some serious thing. Good thing, during that tornado, we were without power for like three days. I was glad we had some non-perishables, glad we had a little generator to try and keep our fridge going. And so nothing wrong with having some non-perishables. But guys, we're not to live in worry and concern and stockpile garages and storage bins full of, full of stuff because we're afraid. Does this make sense? Hoarding is not biblical. Biblically, we don't prosper by hoarding. How does the believer prosper? By giving. Remember how we talked about how things in, the, in, in God's kingdom seem totally backwards to the world? The world says, I get more by, by hoarding, more and more and more stuff. I build up my wealth. God says, give, and it'll be given unto you, right? We prosper by giving. Heard people say, well, brother, when the great tribulation comes, you'll be glad you had that stockpile. Well, if you're here during the great tribulation and you have a stockpile, don't tell anybody because they're going to come after you like the zombie apocalypse. They're going to be breaking down your door to get your stuff. But guys, we're not to hoard. We're to give. And as we give, we are promised that it shall be given unto us. God will provide for our every need as we learn to be a giver and to obey his word. Will hard times come? Yeah. We, we live on planet earth. We're not in this kingdom, but there's going to be hard times in this life. On the earth. Do we have to worry and fear? No. We don't have to worry and fear. We are not of this world. We are not subject to this world system. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Do you believe it? Our God provides for all of our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Not according to what you've hoarded. What do I do? What do I do if there's no food? You trust God will provide. What do I do? Everybody's making a mass run for gas. Believe God will provide. What do I do if they run out of toilet paper? God made leaves. No, just kidding. Make sure it's not poison ivy. I'm getting an itch. People say, but things are getting so bad, shouldn't we be worried about tomorrow? Guys, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he supplied all your needs yesterday, if he's supplying your needs today, he will supply for your needs tomorrow regardless of what happens in this world. Regardless. The world can't stop him from blessing you. So Jesus says, don't store up where moths can destroy. What can moths destroy? You don't clothing, cloth, right? So Jesus does go in. We'll see in a minute. He talks about clothes. Is it wrong to have nice clothes? Not at all. Not at all. But if you've got an extra closet or two of clothes that you don't wear anymore, why don't we share those? Right? Let's be a blessing to others with that stuff. He says, don't store up where rust can destroy. Obviously, just talking about more precious things in here. He says, don't store up where thieves can break in and steal. Well, well, brother, my angels watch over and guard my stuff. Not if you're hoarding. It doesn't work that way. Not if you're hoarding out of fear and out of greed and out of your need for control. We don't pick and choose what parts of the Bible we're going to follow and obey and then expect that we're still going to be protected by its promises, right? It goes back to the question, where is your heart? So what does Jesus tell us to do? Next verse, we're going on to verse 20. He says, but here's what you do, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So we are supposed to store up stuff, right? But not in this kingdom, Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves are not breaking and steal. And y'all know verse 21, right? Say it together. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So our heart, our priority for storing up things should be kingdom-minded. It's about heart and priority. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And when it says your heart, it's talking about your soul. It's talking about your mind, okay? Wherever your treasure is, that shows where your thoughts are, right? So if you're constantly storing up and hoarding stuff on earth, what's in your mind? What's in your heart? It's about hoarding. It's about getting stuff. It's about getting more. And when you have that kind of mindset, you'll never have enough. You'll always want more. But Colossians 3, verses 2 and 3, you guys know this. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in the Lord. Set your mind on the things above, on God's kingdom, not on things of the earth. Because where your treasure is, there your mind, there your thoughts will be. Look at the next scripture, verse 22. Jesus continues. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If, therefore, your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Now, light enters the body through the eye, right? We actually don't really see with our eyeball. It's just the eyeball that allows light to enter, right? And then you actually see with your brain, which processes that light and recognizes images. So we actually see with our brain, our mind. In this scripture, and yes, yeah, still up there, the lamp of the body is the eye. The word eye, again, is still really referring to the mind, the thoughts. And I'll show you that here in just a minute, but think about it. The lamp of the body is the mind. If your mind, if, if your eye, if your thoughts are good, your whole body will be full of light. And what he's really talking about here, he's talking about being single-minded. You know, we've talked about being single-minded and being double-minded. You'll see this more clearly. Let, let's just read the next verse real quick. Verse 23 says, But if your eye, or you, we could again say your thoughts are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore, if the light that is in you, if the light that you think is in you is really darkness, how great is that darkness? So he speaks about how an, an eye that is bad. Others say an eye that is evil. Again, we're talking about thoughts. We're talking about the mind, mind that is evil. So this is referring to the person or the mind of a person that is double-minded. Now, what does James tell us about a double-minded person? They are unstable in all their ways, right? And he goes on to say that if you're, if, if you're single-minded, you'll be full of light. But if you're double-minded, it says you're full of darkness. You guys know what we call a double-minded Christian? carnal. It's a carnal Christian. One foot in the kingdom, one foot in the world, right? Anybody ever been there? What we call riding the fence? <laughs> youth camp we were at a few years ago, we took the youth group, said so the only thing you get from riding the fence, only thing you come away with is splinters in the crotch. Shouldn't have said that, sorry. It's good for a youth camp, not a Sunday morning. <laughs> it's all you come away with. So the Bible tells us if you're full of darkness, I'm sorry, it, it tells us that if you're full of darkness and you think it's light, then you have deceived yourself. Well, brother, I'm more than an overcomer. No, you have memorized a biblical phrase, but it's obvious by the fruit of your life that you're full of darkness. You have deceived yourself. Does this make sense? Uh, verse 24. Jesus goes on to say, No one can serve two masters. You guys have heard this over and over again. For he will ever either hate the one or he will love the, and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, you've probably heard it taught that mammon was the um, uh, the Chaldean god of money. 
okay? And so in church, it's usually said, it's usually said in regards to offerings and things, usually said that you cannot serve God and, and money, right? And as we talked about in the Christian life, money is not a bad thing. It's a very necessary thing. It's a good thing. It's a tool. But if we get our eyes focused on the money rather than the source, well, then we've lost everything. How many of you know the money will be gone eventually? So if we're not focused on the source, that's kind of like, I don't, I don't get into stuff like this very often, but I, Sean and I were sitting there the other day and I, I saw that they're talking about a couple more rounds of stimulus checks. And the reason they're wanting to give more stimulus checks is because they said it's going to bring so many more million people out of poverty. And I looked at Sean and I said, for how long? They want to see the poverty level in the U.S. drop. But how long? A few weeks? A month? The government is not supposed to be our source. It was never supposed to be our source. And thus, the government has everybody looking at the money at the next check. Dave Ramsey got in all kinds of trouble. He made, a, I don't know if you all saw it a couple months ago, he said if 1400 bucks is going to change your life, you were in trouble to begin with. We've got to focus on the source. When we get our eyes on the money, we lose everything. Keep your eyes on the source. If you keep your eyes on the Father, the money will be there. But if you get your eyes focused on the money, then you've lost everything. Money is not the answer. He will always be there to make sure that you have what you need. Next verse, verse 25. Therefore I say to you, this is Jesus' kind of answer to that. Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than than clothing. So Jesus is talking about material stuff again, right? He's not saying that you aren't supposed to be concerned about clothes. I'm glad you guys found clothes this morning. Praise the Lord. I'm glad you got that. But we shouldn't be worried about whether we're going to have clothes for tomorrow. I mean, do your laundry. But, but hopefully, hopefully you don't walk up to your, your closet each morning and go, oh, I hope there's clothes in there, Right? Hopefully you don't wear out a pair of shoes and go, oh, Lord, you have to pray and intercede because I don't know what I'm going to wear next. God is your source. Your Father provides, right? He gives us, and look, I'm not, I'm not saying, <laughs> he gives us the means to acquire clothing. Sometimes he may give you some clothes, but usually he gives you the means to acquire it, right? He's the source of it. So you got to work, right? <laughs> you got to go to the store and buy it, yeah. But again, we're talking about recognizing him, not the world as a source, recognizing him as a source, saying single-minded, laser-focused on him, recognizing that he has always provided for me and he's going to continue to provide for me. And then Jesus gives a couple of practical illustrations from there. Next verse, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, for neither they, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, talking about food, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now picture for a minute, the first couple of weeks, we talked about how Jesus got the disciples and he takes them up on this hillside and they gather around him, right? Okay, so they're still sitting on that hillside. So I imagine the birds are singing as Jesus is standing there talking, sitting there talking, right? And so Jesus points off, he points over at the birds. And he says, see the birds? They're not at all worried about tomorrow. They have an assurance that what they need for tomorrow will be there tomorrow. And so I believe that that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that if you worry and fret over where your clothes or where your food is going to come from for the next day, you're lowering yourself down to a level lower than a bird that God takes care of. Birds aren't working up a sweat, and neither should we. 
The Lord provides for them, and he says, how much more valuable are you than a common bird? And by the way, I'm not in the slightest way condemning somebody, if you're here watching online, whatever else may be, that's believing for food this week. Uh, Please, let us know. And let us come in as the body of Christ and help you and assist you. But what what I'm trying to say here is that I believe that God wants us to trust him and to grow in these simple things so that we can get to the place where we're standing in faith and believing for greater things. I don't want to be still standing and believing for food for the next day, 5, 10, 15 years later. Right? We want to grow. We should get to the point, I believe, where we don't have to worry about food anymore. We don't have to think about it. Like the birds, we get to a place where we know it's going to be there. We know he's already provided. He's already provided it for us. Then we can begin to extend our faith for bigger things like healing and blessing and prosperity for others around us. But if we're always desperate and believing God and having to stand in faith every single day for the bare necessities, how are we going to lead people to Jesus? Right? It's about trust. We should get to the place where we don't have to worry or even think about where food will come from tomorrow. We just know that it'll be there. Father's provided it. And not only that, that he'll give us enough to bless others. Next verse, verse 27. Jesus says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit, just a measurement, say an inch, to his stature? Has worrying ever gotten you anywhere? Has it ever gotten you anything other than an ulcer and anxiety? Lack of sleep? No matter what our need may be, worrying solves nothing. 1 Peter 5, 7, you know this, casting all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. But we don't believe it. We choose to worry instead. Listen to this from the Passion Translation. Pour out all your worries and stress upon him and do what? Leave them there, for he always tenderly cares for you. Some of you need to get your worries and your stress and you need to pour it out before them and you need to leave it right there and walk away. Don't pick that thing back up. Psalm 55, 22, give all your burdens to the Lord and he will care, take care of you. Every burden, every worry, every concern, we should be giving to him. When we decide to worry about it, what we're really doing, it's God's responsibility. He took this. What we're doing is we're going and we're taking that back from him. We're taking that problem back out of his hands and going, I got this one. I got it. And in essence, what we're doing is we're pushing him away. When we worry about it, what we're doing is we're viewing ourselves as the source, as the answer. Like it's within us. And it's not. When we give it to him, we're recognizing him as the source. And when you recognize him as the source, you have nothing to worry about anymore. Right? And what did he say? Which of you, can, by worrying, can add one cubit, one inch to his stature? And, I, and, and, and thinking about this, when you, when, when you take the issue, the problem that you're worrying about, when you take it away from the Lord, you're kind of, like I said, you're making yourself the source and it's, it's kind of like to yourself, it's kind, it's kind of like you've, you've grown a few inches. You're, 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 you're kind of like, you know, I, I, I've got this. I don't need anybody. I'm a, I'm a self-made man, right? And In reality, you've lowered yourself to a place lower than a bird, right? And that is where the deception lies. It's pride, isn't it? Next verse, verse 28. Jesus is wrapping this thing up. He says, so, why do you worry? Why do you worry about clothing? He gives another quick example. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin for food or, or, I'm sorry, for um, clothing. And yet, I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field with lilies, which which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he... Not much more clothe you, O you of little faith. So Jesus is wrapping this up. He says, so why do you worry again? 
Does this comparison to the lilies? Now we see lilies as, as, as pretty flowers, but I think in Israel they were probably as common as grass. They were everywhere. They're mentioned in Scripture over and over again. But he says here that, you know, in the, and, and actually I was thinking that the disciples, they, they may very well have been sitting in a field of lilies right there. See how Jesus is given a practical example right in front of them? But, you know, he says th- you're, you're worried about little things like clothes, but the reality is in your so- own self-efforts, you can't make yourself look half as good as the common lily. And he says Solomon and all his wealth and all his glory and splendor, he couldn't. So what are you worried about? If God clothes, clothes the fields with lilies, how much more will he clothe you? He says if you can't trust God with your clothing, if you can't trust God with your food, you can't trust him with your basic needs, what does he say you are? Ye of little faith. Right? He says, hey, he doesn't say you have no faith. He says you have little faith. Right? And then verse 31. He says, therefore... Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father, he already knows that you need all these things. Now, the word translated Gentile here is the same word that's translated heathen. We all know what a heathen is, right? It means the same thing. And the word seek, says for all these things the Gentiles seek, the word seek means to scrounge, to scrounge around. So it could read like this. If you spend your time worrying about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear and whatever else it may be, where you're going to work and where you're going to stay and what you're going to drive, understand that these are the same things that the heathens out there are scrounging, spending their life scrounging around after. He's he's saying, but you're a child of the king. Guys, y'all hear the heart of what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, your father is God, and he owns the whole stinking universe. It's everything is his, right? So why are you scrounging around for stuff? The Bible says, my God supplies all my needs, right? Right? So we don't need to go around and scrounge and hoard for stuff. God supplies. God is our source. We've got to get beyond all these things so that he can use us to do greater things. And now getting down to it, last few verses. Verse 33. You guys have heard this so many times. But seek first what? Oh, it's not storing up all kinds of stuff, storing up food for the apocalypse that's coming. Getting a bunch of gas, filling your garage with toilet paper? No? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you. Now, again, it's talking, this is referring to the single-minded person, the person who is laser-focused, looking directly to the Lord and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His righteousness, this is his word, seeking his word. Getting it inside of you. It says when you are doing these things, all these things, when you're seeking him, seeking his righteousness, it says all these things, what things? Food, drink, clothing, shelter, cars, shoes, all the things that he already knows you need shall be added unto you by simply seeking him and his righteousness first. We don't need to hoard He will provide it so that we can focus on other things. He will make you prosper so that you can be a blessing to others. Just seek him in his righteousness and know that everything else is taken care of. Again, I'm not saying you don't work. Your food's not going to appear on your table, right? The Bible also says you don't eat, you don't work, you don't eat. A lot of people don't have that. I, I, I've run into situations the last few weeks where we couldn't hire people to do different things in our neighborhood and stuff because they were like, I can't find any workers. People aren't working, guys. We do have a responsibility. We got to get up and work. 
But if you're making more money that comes in from that check every month than you can going to work, let's move on. Um, Jesus concludes in verse 34, last verse of chapter 6. He says, therefore, this is the end. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Is this a request? It's a command. Is he going to do it for you? No, it's your responsibility to lay your worries, concerns, and stress at his feet and to choose to not worry. Do not worry about tomorrow or tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Guys, we don't know what tomorrow holds except that God will still be on the throne. We have, no, we, we have learned in the last year or two, we have no idea what could happen tomorrow, right? No idea. When we're hoarding stuff, we are trying to control and protect ourselves from what may or may not happen tomorrow. And it's motivated by fear. And fear is one of the greatest issues in the body of Christ right now. It's a big problem. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is sin. Fear is destructive. I understand concern. I've got some concerns. I'm not fearful. We don't live from a place of fear. We are not to fear the future. God will be there for you tomorrow just like he's there for you today, right? Worry is always future. Faith says God has provided all my needs, and I know he'll continue to. But worry comes in and says, all is lost, we're going under, right? People have come to me and said, there's this thing coming, it's, it's, my, it's my job, it's my marriage, it's my kid, it's my whatever it may be, and, and I'm, I'm so worried, I don't know what's going to happen, what do I do? And, you know, and it's like, oh my goodness, stop worrying about what's going to happen five steps ahead. My advice the last couple of years to folks has been, stop and ask the Lord, what is the next right step that you want me to take today? And then trust him for tomorrow. Guys, I just want to close. It's because of this that our family has never worried about COVID-19. We have remained very respectful of others. And, and look, I'm not going up to somebody I know tested positive and giving them a holy kiss on the mouth. Okay? That's stupid. <laughs> stupid. Right? But I'm not living in fear. I'm, my life will not be dictated by a virus. We do use wisdom. God has given us wisdom, the mind of Christ. But I refuse to live in fear. I'm not going to do it. Father takes care of us. Guys, we're not worried about what is or isn't going to happen in the world. We're not predicting the next and examining the next corrupt good move of the government. We're not worried about where the world is going, except that there are millions headed toward hell. That's our responsibility. Because of that, we need to be everybody, everything that God's called us to be. Does that mean that we don't keep up with current affairs and know what's going on? The signs of the times? Not at all. We need to know what's going on in the world. My problem right now is that people are glued, Christians, uh, I don't want to get on a soapbox. <laughs> the church is far more concerned about the news and Facebook and Twitter and even Christian news, guys, than they are about getting into the Word of God. And that concerns me greatly. That is my greatest concern at the moment. We're, what we're doing, the decisions we're making, where we're going is all being dictated by circumstance. And we were never meant to live that way. I will not be distracted even by current affairs. God's plan and his instruction for you in your life is no different today than it was five years ago. Or 50 years ago. Or 500 years ago. God's word and his plan and his mandate has not changed. We have nothing 
to worry about. He will take care of us regardless of what happens in this world. He's given us all the answers. We've got to trust him and we've got to obey him. Sean and I, our families, we, and, and even as we moved on and got married, we, we never hoarded food or, or water or gasoline or toilet paper, whatever else it may be. And I think the reason is this. It's the way that we were taught and it's the way that we have lived. You know, because of that, God has proven himself faithful in our lives over and over again so many times that it's almost just second nature just to trust him. I, I, I don't have to stop when I hear that there's a shortage of gas. I don't have to stop. Oh, God, pray. Lord, we're believing for gas. In Jesus' name, we need gas for work this way. Lord, we trust you. We move on. He's going to take care of us. He's going to provide, right? If food runs short, we trust him. It's going to be okay. He's going to take care of you. He's not going to leave you high and dry, right? We just don't even really think about it. Wouldn't you say? It's like, guys, live for the Lord today. When tomorrow comes, you'll have faith for tomorrow. When the next day comes, you'll have faith for that day as well. And the Lord will be there. All he requires is you trust him and obey him. The end. Chapter 6. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and we're going we're gonna to begin to close out. If you guys will stand up on your feet. How many of you are glad that we have a heavenly Father who owns the entire universe? He has promised to supply all of our needs according to his riches, not our efforts. And that he's promised to take care of us. Aren't you glad that you don't have to worry? How many of you have spent way too much time worrying in your life? I have spent way too much time worrying in my life, guys. No more. Guys, I first want to give an invitation. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to give you that invitation to do so. Because everything changes. Everything changes when you say yes to Jesus. For those of you who already have surrendered your life to him, I guarantee you, there's probably more than half of us in this room, we need to do what that scripture said, and we need to pour out our stress and our cares and our anxieties before him and leave it there and walk away, knowing that we have nothing to worry about. Nothing. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me right quick. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, you haven't repented, you haven't turned to Jesus, you haven't made him Lord of your life, you're allowing the circumstances of this life to dictate you instead of him. And you recognize that you need to make a change, I want you to take advantage of this moment right now. This, I, I promise you, this is the most important moment of your entire life, from life to death. This is the most important moment. It's saying yes to Jesus. It's recognizing that you're lost and alone without him, that you're desperate and bankrupt without Jesus in your life. The Bible says, guys, that we repent. We recognize how lost we are. We turn from our sin. We determine our hearts to live for him and we surrender our life to him. Whatever he says, we say, yes, Lord. And we allow him to lead us and guide us. And guys, understand, he's the one that created you. He's the one who placed purpose in you. There's a reason that you were born into this earth. There's things that only you can do. In doing this, in repenting and surrendering, you're saying yes to the best thing ever. You're saying yes to fulfilling your purpose, to doing what you were created to do, and you will find no greater satisfaction than that. 
Every head bowed, if that's you, and you would say, I need to surrender to Jesus. I don't know if you've prayed a prayer before or not. You know whether or not your life is surrendered to Jesus today. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand up boldly and say, I need Jesus today. Anybody in this place? Anybody would say, I need to surrender to Jesus. Okay, anybody else? You may be watching online. It's just as much for you. Being here in person doesn't make a lick of difference. The Holy Spirit is right there right now. <laughs> he, he, is, he is at the door knocking. And if you've said yes, his arms are open wide. And he's ready to receive you. We're going to pray a prayer. Like I say, whether you've prayed this prayer before or not, just mean it with all your heart, fresh and new. Mean every word of it. The Bible says when you do, you become a new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things become new. Yeah, life's not going to get simple all of a sudden. All the problems aren't going to go away. But the Holy Spirit will be there to lead you and to guide you and to walk with you and to give you the answers to walk through all those things that tripped you up before. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus because I realize I am lost and alone, utterly bankrupt without him. So today, Jesus, I say yes to you. I recognize that you lived a sinless life, but you went to that cross willingly and you laid down your life for me. You paid the price for my sin. You took the judgment that I deserved. So today I repent of my sin, I turn from it, and I look to you. And from this day forward, I'm gonna follow you. And Jesus, I'm determined to look just like you every day that I breathe, in Jesus' name. I'll follow you all the days of my life. I look forward to fulfilling the purposes you have for my life. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill me now and to empower me to live this life and to fulfill those purposes, to do everything you've called me to. I'm not looking back. I'm moving forward, step by step, step in step with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, if you prayed that prayer, all things become new. If you prayed it for the first time, the Bible says you're a new creation. Your spirit has come alive. It's been made brand new within you. And all of God's promises, they don't belong to you just when you get to heaven. They're yours today. And you can learn more about that. We'll share that with you. But you can also be assured that when you take that last breath here on earth, it won't be a sorrowful thing. It'll be a splendid, beautiful thing because you're opening your eyes to see the face of Jesus. If you prayed that and you're here, I want to talk to you for a moment when you leave. If you would come down, tell me or tell one of the prayer partners. I want them to talk to you, stand with you, pray with you for just a moment, give you a little bit of direction. And guys, I want us to close with this song. You are good. I think that's very fitting because again, sometimes I think we don't believe it. We just don't get it. He has such great intentions for your life. He has such great plans for your life. Guys, he doesn't mess it up. He's never late. He never misses the mark in our lives. We're the ones that miss it. Amen? We're the ones that jack up the plan. But we serve a God that can get us back on track like that. We have the purpose within our heart do it. We've got to begin by recognizing that he's a good God. He's a good father. Close your eyes for just a moment. There are so many of you here that are still struggling with fear. And we rebuke fear right now in Jesus' name. If that's you, just I, everybody just say it. Say, I renounce fear. I renounce fear. I renounce worry. 
I renounce doubt. I renounce pride. I renounce self. I renounce self-confidence. I embrace God-confidence. I pour out my worries and my stress and my concerns at the feet of Jesus and I leave it right there, right now, in Jesus' name. I will not pick it back up. I will not go back to it. I will not keep thinking about it. I will not go round and round that mountain. I'm letting it go. I'm letting it go right now in Jesus' name. Fear, go. Go in Jesus' name. Some of you just need to begin to renounce it. We're going to sing this. We're going to sing this one more time. He's a good God. If that's you, if there's worry, if there's fear, would you say, I renounce it? Sing this song. God, I know that you're a good father. And speak to fear. Speak to it. Say, fear, I renounce you from my life in Jesus' name. Speak to the enemy. Say, I rebuke you from speaking one more word into my mind. I will only believe the word of the Lord in my life. If fear is really a concern, I want you to come down at the end in a few minutes. I want you to tell one of the prayer partners. If you're overcome with worry and doubt, I want you to tell one of our prayer partners. We can get you in touch with the freedom team as well. We can come against that thing in your life. Guys, it can, be a, it can even be a generational thing. Any of you ever been there? Well, my grandmama was a warrior, and my mom was a warrior, and I'm just a warrior just like it. Don't claim that. No. Break it. Renounce it. Do we trust him and believe him or not? If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.